Okay, everyone, if you want to just grab your seats. Uh, if you're watching at home, then you can do what you want. You can stand on your head, go and make yourself a cup of coffee. Just keep listening. But um, Welcome, everyone. Uh, my name's Matt, if you don't know me. Uh, one of the pastors here at Liberty Church. Great to have you all with us, those of you who are here in the room. It's exciting to see you all. Uh, a few people I've not seen for a very long time. A few people I've not seen ever, so great to meet you. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to find the book of Ecclesiastes, which we've been slowly plodding our way through over the last few weeks. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry, the words are going to appear as if by magic on the screen beside me, or you can Google them or look them up on a Bible app on your phone or something like that. Uh, I'm going to read the whole of chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes. Uh, don't worry, it's just 17 verses, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into it together. It says, Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what it is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who were given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God that man 
cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out, even though a wise man claims to know he cannot find it out. Let me pray. Jesus, we, we thank you. We thank you even just as we were singing and Joe was encouraging us as we started that this morning we come to a father, a father who loves us so dearly and tenderly. You're a father who knows everything. You know us completely, inside and outside, our deepest thoughts, our most evil desires. You see everything about us, and yet you love us. You chose to send your son, Jesus, to die for us, that we might know your forgiveness, that we might be won by your mercy and grace, that we might be able to say this morning that we're sons and daughters of the living God. And we just pray that that wonderful wisdom that you exhibit will penetrate into our lives this morning. You speak to us. Change us by your power, we pray. Amen. This morning I want to talk about wisdom. So subjects we've been looking at as we've been going through this series. The book of Ecclesiastes is what some people might call part of the wisdom literature of the Bible. It's a book of wisdom. And we call this series Wisdom for a World that Refuses to Make Sense. And we're going to try and dig into that subject today. But first of all, the, uh, probably an important question to ask is, well, what is wisdom? The writer here gives us a little definition as, at the start. Who is like the wise? Who knows the interpretation of a thing? See, because... Knowledge is all around us. We live in the information age where there's just an abundance of facts and knowledge that you can find. Just the scroll of your finger, there's anything you'd want to know ever. And yet, often we don't feel any wiser because of that. There's so much information available to us. But if anything, it just makes us more confused, more distracted, more concerned, perhaps. Yeah, wisdom is the interpretation of a thing, of how we make sense of all that knowledge. When we hear all the information, all the statistics, all the science around this COVID-19 coronavirus, wisdom is, well, what, what are the governments going to do about that? That's the wisdom that we need to pray for, for our leaders. Wisdom is when you go into the supermarket and you can know what all the different cheeses are but knowing that cheddar is the best of all the cheeses that's wisdom wisdom is to watch the Euro 2020 football tournament and having watched all the teams play two games there's lots of knowledge that I've learned but wisdom has told me that England will not win yet again because they are awful and the Dutch we'll see <laughs> Okay, wisdom is the interpretation of a thing. But yet in, in the world around us, 
Often what we do is people take all the facts, all the information of the world, but the, the wisdom that they use it for, the interpretation is to, is to learn more of our, our self. We, we use all this information to somehow unlock, to root down into the secrets of our heart, to truly understand who we are, to truly understand what we're supposed to be, to define ourselves. That seems to be what the wisdom of our age is. And yet wisdom that we find in here, in this book, in the Bible, wisdom belongs to God. It's, it's his and wisdom begins in our lives through our obedience to God. It says in the Proverbs that it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. And what wisdom does here, again, this verse right at the start of chapter 8 gives us a clue of what wisdom does in our life. It says, a wisdom, a man's wisdom makes his face shine. The hardness of his face is changed. See, wisdom isn't just, it's not abstract ideas and thoughts. It's not so you can write essays and books. It's not that you can be full of great learning and knowledge. Wisdom in according to this book is it's about changing your heart it's to, to learn something according to the bible is not to, to get head knowledge up here it's to change you from the inside out it's for the revelation of God to break into your heart and to renew you to make you more like him in a way that makes your face Shine. It's reminiscent of how Moses in the Exodus story comes down from the mountain and he's received God's commands to him, God's wisdom to him for how life should be. And it says his face shone because God had done something in his life. He changed him. And that's what, what, what we want wisdom to do in our hearts is to change us. And what I want to really narrow in on today is what this passage gives us some clues about is how do we use this wisdom in the world around us that so often refuses to make sense? Or even in a world where the wisdom around us seems to stand against the wisdom of this book. Whereas the wisdom around us seems to even argue against where often people would think that Christianity is, is even dangerous. That it offends what people in our society believe about so many different things. And when it says here in chapter, verse 2 that we should keep the king's command because of God's oath to him, that might seem like a, a passage ripped out of a Shakespearean play or out of the Middle Ages to keep the king's command. But yet, we might not have to keep the king's command quite in the same way in our nation. But often we, we feel like we're oppressed into following a certain way of thinking. 
in a certain worldview that perhaps in your office, you don't actually want people to know that you're a follower of Jesus because you're scared of what they'll think of you, the judgments that they'll make upon you. We perhaps want to keep that hidden away because we're concerned. It was an essay that came out this week by a lady called, I'm probably going to pronounce her name wrong, so I apologize, Chimanda Nguzi Adichie. She's a novelist, and she wrote an essay which was about how we live in this, where there's a, what she called a prevailing ideological orthodoxy, a way of thinking that's supposed to how we think, or a way of thinking that seems almost dogmatic. It's, you can't argue against it. Seems locked, fixed. Anybody that doesn't conform to that, that doesn't follow that, seems in trouble. She said this, she said, we have a generation of young people on social media so terrified of having the wrong opinions that they have robbed themselves of the opportunity to think and to learn and to grow. Maybe that describes you, that you're terrified of having the wrong opinion, terrified of being an outcast, terrified of saying the wrong thing, of not fitting in. We all feel like that from time to time. So how do we live in a world, in a, in a city where we can often feel terrified because of what we believe. With some clues here. First of all, we can obey because we obey. It might sound a bit that as though what the writer here in Ecclesiastes is saying to us, he's, he's almost saying, be, be terrified. Don't, don't say what you think. Hide yourself away. Just, just obey. Just keep the king's command. But that's actually a wonderful biblical principle that we keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. We, we follow the rules and regulations of the nation we live in, of the workplace you're in, of the university where you study. Because it says in Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Paul was writing that to the church in Rome who would soon face severe oppression because of what they believed where Emperor Nero would, would gruesomely murder thousands of Christians where they tried to just disseminate completely wipe out the church and yet the, the Bible said to them be subject to the governing authorities in the book of James it talks about the, the meekness of wisdom It's, it's okay to obey. You don't always have to be heckling from the side. You don't feel that to be a Christian means you need to be shouting out scriptures at everybody all the time. We're called to a, a posture of, of service. But what that does mean is that we're called to obey because we obey, but we're called also to a resilience, a theme that we talk about a lot here at this church, because the temptation can be, if you're here and you're, a, or if you're watching this and you're a follower of Jesus, the temptation can be just to retreat away. Okay, if I'm going to be faithful to what I believe the Bible says, 
faithful to what Jesus says to me, then I can't live in this city anymore. Maybe you feel like that. The weather this week, there were a couple of days where the, the, the heat had that kind of oppressive humidity. I just got on my bike and cycled and I didn't feel like I was putting any effort in and yet I was dripping with sweat. Just the humidity was this oppressive heat around us and you're, you're just desperate for some wind or some rain or something to come. And it can feel like that sometimes, living in a world that doesn't conform to how we think. It can feel oppressive sometimes. And we're desperate for wind to come. And yet, the thing is that resilience is not, it's not a character trait. Resilience is not just something that you're born with. It's something that God grows in you. It's something you can ask for. You can ask for strength. You can ask for wisdom. I can't give you a, a long list of, in all these different situations, this is how you should respond. I just, I can't do that. We could try. Because what wisdom is, is in your heart saying, in this situation, I want to follow Jesus. I don't know what to do, but that's my posture. I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to try and serve and love these people in whatever that means. God, help. (laughs) So many times I've gone into conversations and meetings and I've just prayed, God, I don't know what to do here. Please give me some wisdom. And God answers that prayer time and again. Not in a way often that makes me seem wise, at least in my own eyes or other people's, but in a way, hopefully, where God moves and speaks and helps that person or helps me in some way. We can be resilient. We can hold fast to what the word says. Wisdom also, wisdom seeks peace. It seeks the peace of our city. So what it is to live in our city as a, as a Christian, we're not here to, to sort of bring the city down, say, oh, it's such a horrible, evil place, just needs to you know, find Jesus and stop doing all these bad things. Ugh. We can love and we seek the peace of God to come in our city. Jesus said to his disciples, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. And yet sometimes we want to live as though we're wolves in the midst of sheep, or at least wolves in the midst of other wolves. We, we want to fight. I have that, that urge in me sometimes. But yet Jesus said, no, I'm sending you out as, as sheep. <laughs> That's completely different. It doesn't mean that he's not saying you should just be placid and quiet and just sit and wait for the wolf to come and get you. But what sheep do is sheep trust in the shepherd. Because we read these bits of the story and we read ourselves into it. Oh, I'm a sheep. What does that mean? It's kind of, it's not the point. The point is that he's our great shepherd. That when you're in need when the sheep is lost and stuck in thistle or brambles, stuck in the fence and can't get itself out. And the wolves might be coming for it. And that's what the shepherd's for. 
to come and rescue, to come and come and deliver. And also wisdom, it does know when to speak. It says here in verse five, the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything. He's given us lots of little tips as we've gone through here. Keep the king's command. Don't be hasty to go from his presence. Don't say to him, what are you doing? But the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. And I think it's important to realize that so often people don't conform to our stereotypes. They don't. Their, their social media feed might do. But when you any, actually talk to people, real people, they, they, don't, they don't think as we expect them to think often. They're not, they don't hold a whole bunch of values that they're waiting to smash down on your head. Often most of the people around us in this city are, they're, they're confused. They're trying to find they're trying to find wisdom. They're interpreting or trying to interpret all the different facts of the world, all the things they're told all the time. All the time of, of, of being preached at by so many different voices. And just like you, they're, they're trying to find their way through. They're trying to find the answers. And so often we just can listen, love people, pray for them, and at the right time, know when to lovingly speak. Because I think it's important we realize that wisdom can serve us so well in so many different situations. But wisdom has its limits. Again, this is what this passage seems to be hinting towards. He says there's a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him for he does not know what is to be for who can tell him how it will be so it doesn't matter how much wisdom you have you can't predict the future we don't know how it will be we don't I don't know how this coronavirus will end no one does we don't know how it's going to affect our future. And yet all the time we're interpreting data to try and understand, reading the latest article, trying to get some grasp on it. We, we want to control it. We want to predict what's going to happen. Because when we can't, when we can't control what's going to happen, we feel, we feel at sea. We feel vulnerable. But what wisdom won't do it won't predict the future for you. Also, what wisdom can't do is it can't control the present either. In verse eight, it says, no man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. You can't predict what's gonna happen and in a large part, wisdom can't help us control the present. There's so many things in your life that are out of your control. But all the time, we're trying to get our grip on them. We're trying to fix them. And if I just get a bit more 
of something. I just need something extra. Maybe that's why you come to church, because you're just, just an effort for you to control, to manipulate, to get a grip on your life. And God would want to say to you this morning, just take your hand off. Just give it to him. Whatever it is in your present that seems out of control, whether it's a relationship, it's a situation in your workplace, in your home, where you just can't, quite, you can't fix it, that's okay. Just bring it to God. Because another thing that wisdom can't do is it can't fix wickedness. It says here, he says, I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised where they'd done such things. This also is vanity. He's saying that there, there are evil people that they get praise. They, they get to go into the temple, into the holy place, and they're praised there, and yet they're evil. He says, this is vanity. This is, this is horrid. And then he goes on to say, but it will be well with those who fear God. But then even in verse 14, he then says, there is a vanity that takes place on the earth. There are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. He's saying, why do, why do good things happen to bad people? Bad things happen to good people. He's, he's just lost in the, the knot of this. Just why is there evil? Why, why can't my wisdom fix this? And again, that's the impulse in our heart when we look on, whether you look on it in a grand scheme, the evil, the brokenness of the world, and you want to fix it. You want to somehow put a solution in. We hear that language used all the time. We say, well, we just need to educate people more. If we could educate people more, they'd stop being so racist. If we could educate people more, they would stop being so evil. They would stop perpetrating all this injustice. And yes, that is true to an extent, but knowledge won't change people's hearts. Any wisdom that we can try and use can't fix the problem because the problem is greater than just a lack of information. There's wickedness and evil in that because people, people aren't fearing God. And yet what the wisdom of the world, earthly wisdom around us, it claims that it can predict the future, that it can control the present that it can fix wickedness. All the time you're told that. If you try this thing, if you, this new diet will make, your, it'll make the future you so much better than the present you. If you subscribe to this website, this magazine, if you read all this clever information, that's gonna, that's gonna make you a social justice warrior. You'll be able to fix things 
none of those, it's not bad to diet, it's not bad to read, those, those things are good things, but ultimately they're, they're limited. There's a limit to that wisdom. And his, his advice to us here is two things. First of all, he encourages us to fear God. It will be well with those who fear God. And then he also encourages us towards, towards joy. I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. Which seems a bit like he's saying, well, there's all this bad stuff, but, you know, just go and have a nice drink and eat a nice sandwich and everything will be well. He's not saying that at all. What he's encouraging us towards is a, a posture of, of trusting God, of being content, satisfied, at peace, at rest in him and who he is. It doesn't mean you shouldn't care. You can care about your own life, about the world around you. But within that, knowing what the answer is, and again, it's not calling us to passivity. We can still love and serve with all our might and energy. Seek to eradicate the things around us we see and in our own hearts that we don't like. But ultimately, we, if we do those things without God, if we've learned anything from Ecclesiastes, his book's telling us that that's a, it's a striving after the wind. Or another way to interpret that is it's a shepherding the wind. You can't shepherd the wind. You, you can't. Our, our house this week, because of the heat, got super hot. So each evening we'd, we would open all the windows, try and let the cold air in, but I, I, can't, I can't get the wind from outside inside my house. The, the air there is there and the air, why is the air here hot? And the air out there is cold. I couldn't make it come in. Because I can't, I don't have control of that. I can do a few things. I can open windows and doors and try and get fans going and shepherd it through a bit as much as I can. But ultimately, it's a striving after the wind. It's a chasing the wind. If we try and control everything without God in our lives, it really doesn't amount to much. It's just a striving after the wind. But yet, if you lean into the Spirit of God talks in John about the spirit of God blowing where it chooses to blow. You also, you can't predict the work of God. You can't predict what the Holy Spirit is gonna do. But you can welcome him into your life. You can welcome his power to come and change you. Because you see, there's, a, there's an unsearchable wisdom in God that we can lean into. Because perhaps all of this seems a bit confused too. You're struggling to make sense of it, struggling to understand how any of this holds together. How you can make sense of anything. How you can use the wisdom of God. Perhaps the problem might be is, <laughs> it's gonna be a big grand statement. The problem might be is what you think about the universe. Well, just bear with me for a second. See, because another message that keeps coming out in this book again and again is this phrase, under the sun. That we get so concerned with life 
under the sun that we forget sometimes to step back and to see just the majesty and the might of the power of God. See, the, the best way to understand the wisdom of God is just to stand right back. In Psalm 104, it says, how manifold are your works? And it goes on to talk about God's beautiful creation plan of creating the entire universe. It says, in wisdom, you have made them all. When we stand back and look at just the majesty of his creation and see that was a work of the wisdom of God. And yet in that creation, it also says in Colossians 1.16 that all things were created through him and for him. It's talking about Jesus. See, in the wisdom of God, he created the whole of the universe, all our planet, humanity, all of us. And at the very center, at the very heart of it, he's put Jesus The universe itself is just a theater for the display of the glory of God, which we see most fully in Jesus Christ. That's the, the wisdom of God is to put on this beautiful, grand performance of the wonder, the majesty of Christ. Let me turn quickly to the book of Ephesians. It says this, He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. See, right at the center of the universe, there's this this mystery that we've all been trying to figure out, that the world around us is constantly trying to interpret the facts, the knowledge to come to a place of wisdom. But the mystery, the thing that they're trying to solve all the time is Jesus Christ. He's the mystery now made known to us. He's the wisdom of God made real to us. He is, as it talks about in Ecclesiastes there, he's the, the interpretation of the thing is Jesus, he's he's the answer that you're looking for. Not only in that he will give you wisdom if you come and ask for it, but he's wisdom itself. Because he comes to solve the greatest problems in our lives. As Joe was talking about so wonderfully at the start, that we have a, a father that in his knowledge knows everything. He sees it all, and yet in his wisdom, he's chosen to love us. That blows my mind. When, when I honestly consider what I'm like, you know, what, I'm, what I've done, what I've thought, what I've said, to think, oh, he, he, he loves me? Isn't that amazing? When you just consider just the... the <laughs> Even even on your best days, just the brokenness inside of us that 
He's come to redeem. And he calls us now as his sons and daughters that just his, his holiness has been, the Father looks on you now and just sees the righteousness of God all over you. It's not that in his wisdom he looks at all those things and, uh, and sees all the evil. He, he, he looks at us and in his wisdom he sees the righteousness of Jesus if you're a follower of him because the debt has been paid already. That in the wisdom of God he sent Jesus to die for you, to forgive you, to wash you clean with his blood. And all of a sudden, when you, when you realize that, that, that's what makes your faith shine. That's what will change your heart. That's what will help you to, it's the only way to navigate through the world with wisdom is knowing you've got a father that loves you. You've got a savior who's died for you. You've got a future secure, predicted, one for you in Jesus that he's completely in control of everything that's happening around us, that the wickedness, the evil of the world, he's come to fix in his son. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we just thank you that you're alive. Even that knowledge makes no sense to us. How could you be dead, but now you're alive, but you are. You're resurrected from the dead. You've defeated sin and death. You've defeated evil, the devil. The victory has been won. And you're on your throne right now, ruling over all of creation. You sent your spirit to live in our hearts, to make witness to the deepest part of our souls. You witness to us the beautiful love of the Father. That's your wisdom. And we just want to step into that wisdom today and say, God, I, I forsake the hunt for all knowledge. I don't want to be wise in the world's eyes. I'm happy to be foolish, but know you're the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ, in my life. Pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would just come and make that wonderful good news alive in our heart. Amen.